Hello everybody and welcome to episode 69 of the Ask the Coach show where we answer your table tennis questions. Today we're talking about improving your anticipation, how to keep your level high for all your matches during a competition, whether training with a robot is helpful, and what those rubbers on each of the table tennis, uh, what the numbers on each of the table tennis rubbers mean. As always, with me is Supercoach Alois Rosario here to answer your questions. Welcome, Alois. Good morning, Jeffrey. How are you this morning? Yes, I'm very good. Thank you, Alois. I was getting my numbers and rubbers mixed up there in the introduction, which is a bit confusing. <laughs> yeah, well, not uh, not surprising at this time of the morning, Jeff. And you know, you've been up way too late watching way too much sport. I have indeed. There's a lot of sport. What's your been your highlight? Do you like the soccer, the cricket, the tennis, something else? Oh, yeah, for me, the soccer. The soccer on Saturday night. You know, um, here in Australia, um, Australia is part of the Asian Cup, and uh, Australia was able to take out the Asian Cup against Korea, which was a really good. Good win, really good, good match. Uh, one in extra time, uh, two one. So, yeah, I loved it. Yeah, it was a pretty exciting match, wasn't it? Because Australia were up one nil, and then in extra time, Korea leveled uh, for one all, and uh, it was just a bit hard to watch, actually, being an Australian. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was a bit. It was. Uh, it was funny because we were uh, out and had to pick up the kids, and uh, we had to actually leave watching it. Um, um, the end of uh, normal time, so uh, then we had to just listen to it on the radio, and oh, it was yeah, very uh, very nail biting. Indeed, indeed. All right, well, Alloys, Yesterday we asked our ping skillers a question about Aruna, um, a quadri Aruna, and said, "How high do you think he can reach in the world? What are your thoughts on this?" Yeah, he's. I love. I love his athletic style and the way that he moves around the court and his his exciting play. Um, I I just think that you know um, he's probably getting to the top of where he can. Um, you know, I mean, maybe he can reach you know the twenties and thirties um, at that level or with that level. Um, I'd love to see him go up higher. So he's so exciting um, as a player. Um, but I don't. I just don't think he's got anything um, special or anything, um, you know, above uh, some of those other other guys to be able to reach, you know, the top ten. Love to see it. Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because it's hard to tell with players. Because I mean, he can just keep developing, keep developing. There's nothing there to stop him as such, except for all the Chinese, I guess. <laughs> yes, and I think um, it was Dita that uh, commented and said, "Well, if uh, if all the Chinese um, actually played in international tournaments, uh, I think all of us would be a little bit lower." Yes. Oh uh, well, let's track his progress over the coming years and see how he goes. Um, as you said, very exciting player to watch. So um, if you haven't seen him play, search for him on YouTube and have a look at some of his matches. Okay. So the Pinsilla's question for today, Alois, is who is the second best table tennis nation in the world at the moment? Um, and obviously Chinese, uh, the Ch China's number one, but who do you think is number two? Leave a comment. Uh, we'd love to hear your thoughts. All right, Alois. Um, Brock's jumped on. Uh, thank you, Brock, and asked a question using the Google Q&A Hangout app. 
Um, so all of you can do that if you go to our Google Plus page and see the little Q&A button. And Brock said, hey, ping skills. I know if there is a lot of topspin, you must angle your bat down, but how do I block a backspin? What angle? All right. So um, if the ball's got backspin on it, you can't really block it. If you block it, or in the traditional sense of a block, um, the ball is going to drag straight down into the net or into the table. So, so on um, on a backspin ball, you need to tilt your bat back and push the ball. So that yeah, it's traditionally known as a push or a chop. So so that's the stroke you need to play. If you block it, bang, it's going to go straight into the table. Okay, now when learning the push, do you need to generate some backspin of yourself going back or not to start with? Yeah, if depending on depending on the um, spin that's on the ball. So if the ball's got nothing on it, you can just push the ball flat just to develop the control. Um, but it's good to develop um, a little bit of backspin yourself as well because that makes your push a little bit more effective. So pushing the ball back like that. Um, is good for control ball, but um, you want to start to brush underneath the ball as well. Okay, great. All right, thanks for the question, Brock. We've got two videos, one on the backhand push and one on the forehand push, so I'll put a link in the show notes to those videos for you. Um, the next question is, um, oh, we've got another one. Adil has jumped on as well, Alois. This is great, and asked a question. He says, do you think learning to play... Uh, with both hands adds another dimension to your gameplay. I've seen Timo Boll do it, and I was always curious. Yeah, I um, I don't think training with your other hand um, is something that you need to do. Timo Boll would probably never, ever go out and practice with his right hand. Um, you know, he might have a little, little fun hit, um, you know, once a year or something. Uh, with his wrong hand, but it's not like he goes out there and trains with his wrong hand. So what he's doing is he's just developing the skill um, with his left hand and it just translates it to his right hand. So it's not something that you need to go out and practice or try to develop. It's just something that will develop with um, with time and with uh, the amount of training that you're doing. Um, does it add something? Um, being able to hit the ball with the other hand certainly adds a bit of excitement and if you just can't reach one ball, you know, we see T-Mobile do that every now and then. Um, uh, as far as developmentally, perhaps, you know, perhaps at a really, really young age if you if you are developing hitting with both hands, um, you're developing better coordination and um, brain patterns and that sort of thing. But I think in general, uh, just train with your uh, preferred hand. Um, spend spend that time um, on the table just training with your preferred hand and, and work hard with that. Yeah, the way I see it, Alois, is Timo Boll would play 99.9999% of shots in competition with his uh, left hand, maybe more. Um, so he hardly ever uses that right hand. So when he does practice, the time he spends practicing would be much more beneficial practicing with his left hand because that's how he wins all his points. Yeah, yeah, true. Yeah, like, I mean, yeah, you're right. It, it's, uh, you know, the percentages is way up as far as um, how, many hit, how many balls he hits with his left hand compared to his right hand. So, yeah, it doesn't make too much sense to put in too much time. Um, but, but, uh, great question, Adil. Uh, thanks for jumping on and asking. All right, now, Dee just asked a question, Alois. 
He says, in our inter-club competition, I played four matches. He goes, I'm performing much better in the first matches um, than in the later ones. This could be explained easily if I met better players last, but the opposite is true. So what's happening with Dieter, and how can he improve his performance as the night goes on? Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. So um, in the Ask the Coach page, he sort of also uh, elaborated a bit more. He's um, He said, so apparently I can't sustain the mental level in my, in my subsequent matches. And I've also considered it was due to not enough uh, drinking or eating, so he's, he's fixed that. Um, he's tried all types of mental aids, you know, calming down, uh, not to become too relaxed um, against the poor opposition. Um, the other thing he's also mentioned in his Ask the Coach uh, question is, um, he says, on another note, during club training nights, he consistently beats players um, up until the 1,000 points, so the, the better players. You know, he, he beats them um, you know, 90% of the time, but in competition, he can lose to rating players at around 600, so the lower-level players, you know, 50% of the time. So... Um, it's yeah, it's an interesting question, isn't it? Like, um, there's lots of things that could be going on. There, are, um, fatigue is one. So, but it looks like you you're, you're trying to combat that by um, eating better. You know, perhaps resting a little bit more between matches, um, a little bit more downtime. The other thing you can do, <clears throat> just mentally, is just take yourself away from the playing arena. Um, so if you're in the match and you just get more involved and more involved, you can start to overthink things. So sometimes just, even if you just walk out of the hall for two minutes, um, you know, go outside, um, have a chat to a friend, uh, just go outside, do a little bit of breathing, um, something like that. It just mentally, it just uh, relaxes you or takes your mind away from uh, the the table, um, and and so that could be leading to you know the the slow decline in your playing ability. Um, sometimes when we go there with a fresh mind, you know, so um, he's given us the um, the number of matches that he's won. So in the first match of the night, he's got a thirteen to three record, whereas in the second match of the night, he's got an eight eight record. So that'll be against similar level of players. Um, he was saying. So, you know, it's, it, it can be just as you get through the night, you just start to overthink things and you start to um, uh, just start to create worries or create things in your head as well. So, um, yeah, just taking yourself out of that situation can help sometimes. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I guess it can become frustrating if it's sort of a pattern continues to develop and you're trying to find an answer and you can get more and more worried about it. So... I guess some of those tips, Alloys, just help with that, just help you just to get away from all that worry and just focus back on your table tennis. Yeah, and th then the other issue is, you know, he's, he also talked about, you know, playing, probably playing better against the better level of players. So um, also in the, his question, he's mentioned that the first two matches of the night were against the higher-ranked players and the third and the fourth matches of the night were against the lower-ranked players. So um, sometimes players just have problems playing against the lower level of players because, um, one, they don't hit the ball as fast, perhaps, or they don't hit the ball as cleanly. So the better players tend to, you know, hit the ball nicely with topspin. Sometimes the lower level players that are still learning don't quite hit the ball 
um, correctly. You know, they might hit the ball with a little bit of side spin or with a bit of back spin. The ball doesn't come off their racket um, as well. So um, adjusting to those sort of balls sometimes can be difficult for, for different players. So, so that's another issue, you know, starting to think about um, practicing against slower balls so that you can take advantage and generate your own speed off, um, off the slower balls as well. Yeah, I've seen that a lot, Alice. So you've got like a player up here at say 1,000, you've got a player at 800 just below them, and that 800 player can often have good results against the 1,000 player, but yeah, then struggle against the 600 player. But when they improve uh, their technique and get better themselves and actually get up to that 1,000 level, their strokes are so much better that they can cope with all those slower balls that you talked about and can beat the players that are slightly lower than them. So improving your ability and improving your strokes and your consistency is one surefire way to actually have better results against those lower level players. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah, and, and just just having confidence in your stroke as well. Um, so sometimes, you know, when we when we've got more time, we start to doubt our stroke, you know. So this is our forehand topspin, and when the ball's coming fast at us, it's easy, you know. We, it just becomes automatic. Uh, we don't think about it. The stroke um, looks like that. When we've got a little bit more time, suddenly we start to think, oh, where does this bat go again? Not, not you know, uh, consciously, but subconsciously, we start to think, where's this bat go? And we start to, you know, wave the bat around and do all, all sorts of things as the ball's coming slower to us. So it's firstly just just having that confidence in your stroke, just understanding that this is your stroke, this works, you just need to do it repetitively. Um, and that just comes, as Jeff, as you said, Jeff, from practice, you know, and from practice and just developing that confidence in the stroke. The ball comes slower to you. It's got a little bit of different spin. doesn't matter. This stroke works. You just need to play it. Um, so yeah, we, we we see this quite a lot in players, and it's um, certainly nothing um, nothing new or different. But it's just a matter of uh, developing your stroke, developing the confidence in it, um, and once you get up to that next level, you know then you can just blast those players off the table. Great. All right. Well, thanks for the question, Dieter, and hopefully um, those answers help you out. All right, now back to the forehand push, Alois. Brock says when he does the forehand push, it always hits the net. So should he do his stroke faster? He does hit under the ball, but it keeps hitting the net. Have you got a tip that can help him out? Yeah, um, so the, the, the forehand push is an awkward stroke to start off with. But if the ball's going into the net, one, try to tilt your back, back a little bit more, and two, try to really brush underneath the ball a little bit more. So if you just put your bat there or or, or let the ball hit the bat um, flat, it, it can still drag down um, onto the into the table or into the net. So tilt the bat back and just, just push it forward slightly that way to push the ball up and over the net a bit more. Yes, and I think, Brock, a great way to practice this is just get a, a training partner and see if you can just do forehand push to forehand push and just try and get like five on in a row and then 10 and then 20 and even keep a track of, you know, your highest number of balls in a row. Um, that's a great way to practice it. Um, I guess maybe also multi-ball might be a good way to practice alloys. Yeah, multi-balls are, are quite good um, with pushing. Um, 
uh, yeah, I, I, I'd rather I'd rather see players pushing against uh, the ball going backwards and forwards with multi-ball because it's a slight variations there as well, and um, you know the slight variation in what you do makes a difference to what comes back as well with the push. It's a lot about the touch, but yeah, I mean certainly um, you can practice against multi-ball, but um, just doing some pushing to pushing. Uh, with another player, I think is probably more effective. Great. All right, Brock, we'll get another player. Do four and a forehand and see how many you can get on in a row, and I'm sure that will help you improve that forehand push. All right, the next question, Alois, is from Taran Kamal, who says, I'm struggling to get good at anticipation. How can I have good anticipation and be ready for the ball more quickly? Yeah. So... Um, Anticipation is a lot about how well you you can track the ball. So if you are watching the ball carefully, um, you will buy yourself a bit of time. Okay. So if you're watching the ball carefully all the way, the ball's there, I'm seeing it, and I'm tracking it here. If you're only tracking the ball some of the time or not tracking the ball that well, suddenly the ball's here and it's on top of you. So by tracking the ball all the way from there and back and there and back, you're starting to buy yourself a little bit of time. So then anticipation becomes, I'm seeing the ball there, I'm reacting and I'm, and I'm able to um, watch the ball and see which side the ball's coming to to start with, what type of spins on the ball. Um, at the same time, you're also seeing what your opponent is doing. So you, I don't have to be looking at you to see what you're doing. By watching the ball, subconscious, uh, um, peripherally, I can see what you're doing. And then as the ball gets closer to you, I'll see what, what's happening. Um, so you don't need to be looking at the player. You need to be tracking the ball. That'll give you all the information that you need. Um, and anticipation then becomes, um, firstly, just um, just a seeing the ball early enough to give you a little bit more time. Yeah, because I've heard a lot of people talk about, you know, I need fast reflexes. And anecdotally, I've heard a lot of stories about some of the people who have the best anticipation doing like a reflex tests, like where you sit and you watch a light, and as soon as a light comes on, you have to hit a button, and, and they time the difference between the light comes on and when you hit the button to see how fast your reactions are. And I've seen or heard stories that a lot of the people who seem to have the best uh, reaction time on a table tennis court don't necessarily perform the best at those tests. And I think it's all because of what you're talking about, Alois. When they're playing table tennis, they're watching the ball so closely and picking up cues from their opponent that they actually have more time than most people because they know a fraction earlier where the ball's going just because they're picking up those cues from their opponent and watching the ball so closely. Yeah, the, the cues from the opponent is a really big thing. So, so the next part of it is that um, you, the more you practice, the more you start to recognize um, cues from your opponent. So firstly, watching the ball is, is crucial. But then you'll start to uh, recognize movements of your, of your opponent, um, movements uh, even for the serve, um, and you will start to see patterns there of what's happening. So if the ball, if, if their bat's there um, at any stage against that particular opponent, you know that they're going to do a backspin serve or, or whatever it is. And that 
um, it helps you then to to understand a little bit earlier what's happening um, with the ball. Um, I think in um, in the book Bounce, uh, wasn't it, Jeff, um, where Matthew Syed talked about um, receiving um, a tennis serve, and he said that he had no clue at all. So Matthew Syed was a fantastic defender um, from uh, from England. Could could defend against um, you know the Chinese players playing um, sensationally fast top spins and and smash strokes and all that sort of stuff, uh, where he really didn't have much time to um, to to see the ball. Whereas when he was playing against a tennis serve, um, where he had probably similar amount of time or even maybe a little bit more time, he had no clue at all where the ball was going. He couldn't even um, move to to react to a ball, you know, because he had no um, no memory um, of uh, what was happening with the ball. Whereas with table tennis, he could just see the ball. You know, it almost becomes like you start to know where the ball's going and what's happening with the ball. Yeah, and I think the key there for learning that again, Alois, is like you mentioned before, not to focus on those cues themselves, but focus on the ball. And then you'll start to learn that and your peripheral vision will start to pick up those cues. But you need to be focused on the ball rather than those cues specifically. Yeah, that's right. You And, yeah, you will pick them up peripherally. That's the, that's the key. Focus on that ball. Great. Well, thanks for the question, Charan Kamal. Uh, definitely an interesting topic. Um, the next question is from Abraham, who says, Can you please explain what the numbers on the rubbers mean. My rubber has 49-009 on it. Can you please tell me exactly what they mean? Sure. So um, I'll just show you this sheet of rubber here. So that is um, Raxa 7. Can you see that clearly enough? Just. Is it 33007 or something? How about that? Is that better? That's better. Oh, yeah, 83. Yeah, 83. So... Um, the 83 there on the rubber refers to the manufacturer. Um, so this will be Yasaka. So all Yasaka rubber, so you can see the Yasaka down there, all Yasaka rubber will have 83 as the first number. Then the 007 will be the specific type of rubber. So this is Raxa 7 rubber, um, as you can see here. So all Raxa 7 rubber will have 007. So the black and the red both have 007 on it. So, so the, the first two numbers, the 83, um, is the manufacturer, and the 007 is the specific type of um, rubber that you're using. Now, that um, that just helps um, helps you identify um, that it is um, an ITTF-approved rubber um, and uh, and what type of rubber it is as well. So, yeah, that's okay. all. Go. I thought the 007 meant that it was for James Bond. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> All right. Now, um, yeah, Brock's asked, Alice, he says, when you make ping skills videos, do you guys coach players also at the same time? Uh, not while we're doing the videos, no. Um, so while we're doing the videos, uh, it's just Jeff and I in the shed, um, you know, uh, creating creating our masterpieces. So, um, <laughs> yeah. Indeed. So, yeah, so, yeah, no, we're not coaching anyone at the same time. Okay, now, 
Who's a fuck has asked, um, I'm here to ask you about training with a human. I know that's good, but can you tell me whether training with a machine or a robot is also helpful? Uh, so we, we get this quite a lot, Josefa. Um, um, the training, uh, we, we think that training with a person is much, much, much better than training with a robot. Um, having said that, um, some players have often said, well, we just don't have anyone to train with. Um, so in those situations, training with a robot is better than not training at all. So, so that's where robots um, can be useful. Why aren't they quite as effective? Um, the main thing for me is the subtle variations that, the, that, um, that you get when you're hitting with um, another player. But probably the most important thing, and something that we just touched on earlier in this show, was you're not seeing the cues from the other person. So when um, I'm playing a forehand topspin to you, um, you're seeing um, what's happening with my bat, you're seeing the stroke, you're starting to develop that anticipation. Um, with a robot, all you see is the ball coming out at you like that. So, so that's, the, that's the biggest drawback, I think, with um, practicing with a robot. But as we said, if you don't have another option, then use a robot. Great. All right. Well, thanks for the question. Well, that wraps up uh, the show for today. Thank you, everybody, for watching, and thanks for those that jumped on and asked some questions. Uh, it's always great to get live questions. Um, make sure you go to pingskills.com, check out our website, and sign up for our free newsletter there. And you'll find all our previous shows on our website by clicking on the blog link. Thank you, everybody, and thank you, Alloys. Yeah, thank you, Jeffrey. Long show today. Hope uh, hope we haven't run over time and uh, put enough uh, coins in the meter. <laughs> Indeed, yes, probably our longest show, but hopefully um, there was a lot of benefit there for everyone. Yeah. All right, thanks, everyone, and catch you tomorrow.